Well, here we go in Genesis. Again, we continue. Today we are, we're up to the first moment outside of the garden. Of course, we had creation. We had the beautiful Eden paradise. But then last week we had the fall. Uh, sin entered the world. Uh, and then this week, it's the first week where Adam and Eve, uh, they're like us. We are living in a fallen world. And, and what are we going to find out about humanity? What is our first encounter with humanity after the fall? Was the original sin with Adam and Eve a one-off? Was, it just, you know, was that just that one thing that happened, but it was just a one-off? What is humanity like? Or is sin now going to be a part of human nature? Are the humans good and just need a fair go? Or is the news much worse? There are many understandings of this question, that of human nature. Uh, for example, let me give you a classic a children's book, Ferdinand the Bull, first written in 1936. Uh, I'll tell you the story, uh, and, you'll, and you'll see where we're going with it. Ferdinand was a bull, uh, but he never fitted in. He never fitted in. The only thing he wanted to do was sit under the cork tree amongst the flowers. And he would watch all of the other bulls fighting and prancing around and posturing, but he was never interested. He just wanted to sit under the trees. But one day some men came to the town. Uh, and uh, by then Ferdinand had grown into a big muscly bull. Uh, and the men came and they wanted to find some bulls to fight in the bull fighting arena. You might say that the men kind of are a bit like the serpent who slithers in to our garden paradise. But Ferdinand wasn't interested. So he just went and sat amongst the flowers. But who else was amongst the flowers but a big bumblebee. And as he sat down, he got stung by a bee. And oh, he rose up and he bolted through the paddock and he ferociously snorted about. Well, the men saw this and they said, this is the kind of bull that we want for our arena. And so he was whisked off to the bullfight. Next slide. And so, of course, there he goes into the arena. But Ferdinand just sits and admires all the flowers and the ladies' hats and uh, doesn't really put on much of a show at all. And then Ferdinand returns to his green paddock, and the story ends like this. It says, And for all I know, he's sitting there still under his favourite cork tree, smelling the flowers just quietly. He is very happy. And so there we are, uh, as people. Are we those who just enjoy the flowers? Uh, what's interesting about the Ferdinand story is every era has given it a different uh, political meaning. Um, Michael Ross, an American serial killer, uh, while he was on death row, he pointed to the story of Ferdinand uh, as a kind of allegory of himself. Uh, you know, when from 1985 uh, he, he was waiting on death row, uh, he expressed remorse and he pointed back to the story of Ferdinand the Bull, it kind of suggesting, I just wanted to be nice, but I was provoked. We all want to believe that things like murder are a mistake. They're shocking, they're wrong. Surely they aren't just who we are. And so is that right? Who are we as humans? Nice but provoked? Or are we really only ever one beasting away from doing something terrible? Well, today in Genesis, we have our, as I said, first taste of life outside the garden. The first picture of life as we know it, the first children of humanity are born. And, and sin continues, we see. 
Uh, and what's interesting about uh, chapter 4, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it very much mirrors chapter 3. So we had uh, Adam and Eve, and now we have Cain and Abel, and very much the same kind of uh, things going on. I'll point them out as we go through. Uh, but this chapter is kind of a, a replay and, a, and an elaboration on last week where we saw the first sin. It kind of slows down. It tells us a little bit more about sin. And so let's see what it says about human nature, about who we are before God and how God treats us. We begin uh, with Cain's crime. I've called it. You can follow along on your outline. Uh, of course, you know, for Cain to commit a crime, we need to have a Cain, which is verse 1. Adam was intimate with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. And her words are a little bit puzzling, um, but certainly in light of Scripture as a whole, we know that this is talking about the seed that was promised. Remember, the serpent was there, and then God said, there'll be one of your children, one of your seed, Eve, is going to crush the serpent's head. And so here she's saying, ah, God, you've given me the child. Will Cain be the one to end sin? Will Cain be the Messiah? Uh, Imagine how short the Bible would be if uh, Cain was the one. But it was not so, as we learn. Uh, we also learn that uh, Eve had another son, Abel. And so we can start piecing together their family tree. Uh, we hear that Abel is a, a shepherd. I think I have a, an attempt at a family tree there. Abel's a shepherd uh, and Cain is a farmer. And it's an interesting thing through these chapters that we always are given their professions. Uh, something interesting is going on. We'll touch on it a little later. Um, but I think the, the, the beginnings of human culture and industry are being charted here as life outside the garden begins. Well, now we come to Cain's carelessness. Uh, We read that both of them made an offering to God. So verse 4 says, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to God, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So both present offerings. Cain presents some produce. Abel presents some of his firstborn flock. But only one of these is accepted. Our second half of verse 4 says, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but did not have regard for Cain and his offering. So how does Cain respond? How does he take it? Second half of verse 5, Cain was furious and looked despondent. So Cain burns with anger, uh, we are told, a murderous anger. The, the word uh, uh, furious there uh, can uh, literally be translated, he burned. It's kind of that feeling when you're angry and you can feel your blood pressure rising and you, you kind of start sweating in your rage. You look to crush something. That is very much how Cain felt. But what is going on there? Why didn't God like Cain's offering? Uh, and I know what you're thinking. It's because of vegetables. He offered vegetables. When you're expecting a hearty meal and all you get is vegetables, who wouldn't disregard them? God throws them on the floor like a toddler having a veggie chuck. Uh, but no, Leviticus tells us that our vegetable produce offerings were uh, acceptable to God if done right. Some have suggested that God just prefers shepherds uh, to farmers. You remember David was a shepherd and, and Jesus is called our great shepherd. Uh, But I don't think that's quite it either. I actually think it's pretty clear from the text that the difference was the quality of the offering. Uh, In a a word, uh, Abel gave his best. Abel gave his best. 
to God. See, both their offerings are described the same way. Uh, some produce, some of the flock. But only Abel uh, is given a description. Uh, it says, for uh, he gave some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, the really good meat, the fatty meat. I don't know if you've thought about meat and the different cuts. You know you go to Woolies and you want to get a steak for dinner and there's all the different uh, cuts there, rump, sirloin, ribeye, and 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 they're all different prices and you're choosing how much I want to spend on my steak tonight. Well, Abel picked the very best and and he gave that to God. Abel's there. He offers up the very best he had, the best meat from his flock, which is what the law will go on to uh, require. And did you notice in the New Testament reading, Hebrews picks up on it and says it was the quality of his offering. Whereas Cain, Cain appears not to have uh, given his best as an offering. Uh, as one, uh, I kind of like this American commentator's paraphrase, he, he kind of says, Cain goes out into the field and he looks around and he's like, oh, any old pumpkin will do. Any old pumpkin will do. I'll give that to God. Which uh, I love because it's somehow so American, but it just kind of rings true. I think this is what is happening here. Cain's mistake, it's actually a warning to all of us when you think about it, uh, that we also need to give our best. Uh, God will ultimately provide the very best offering, that of the blood of Jesus, to save us. But now, as those in light of Jesus, uh, as his followers, surely we, we offer nothing less than our best in turn, our time, our money, our energy. See, you think of that, Cain found something better to do with his best, whatever that vegetable, that really good looking, the best veggie he had, whatever that pumpkin was, he did something else with that. He didn't offer it to God. And it's always a temptation for us to hold back some of our best. But we need to give some of our best to God, give back to him. And it's a joy, as Abel did, to be able to offer up to him that which he has given to us. Well, next we see Cain. Uh, Cain's chance to change, I've called it, because God now speaks to Cain. Uh, And again, this is echoing chapter 3, where the serpent speaks to Eve. There's all these similarities between the chapters, as I mentioned, but the differences are as interesting as the similarities. Uh, So both of these conversations, uh, God, uh, sorry, the serpent and Eve, uh, and then now God and Cain, both of the conversations, they're very intimate, aren't they? You know, like, you know, the serpent slides up to Eve and here God says to Cain, Cain, they're intimate conversations. They both happen before a great sin takes place, don't they? Uh, and they're both getting the person to search their heart and their motivations. So a lot of similarities. But the key difference is that the serpent is trying to lead Eve into sin, trying to egg her into sin, trying to talk her into it, whereas God's doing the opposite. God is trying to talk Cain away from sin, trying to persuade him, reason him out of it. So let's read it. Uh, Verse 6, God says to Cain, Why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And so God, God's saying, why? He questions him. He's asking him to search himself. God has called him out on his poor offering, on his motivations there, in offering so poorly. But now God coaches him. He coaches him. And there's two things that really stand out, shine out about God here uh, and the way he deals with us. Firstly, he warns about sin. And secondly, he intervenes early. 
Um, you just consider this is early intervention by God, isn't it? It's not too late for Cain. God goes to Cain, reasons with him. Um, God takes the initiative. He, he sees Cain and he acts to try and help him. And, and he shows him, he plots a course to peace. Do this, Cain, and you'll be okay. God speaks. Doesn't God speak to save people? He, he reaches out to people to correct them. He speaks early, early intervention. God could have said to Cain, Cain, how dare you question me calling you out on your poor offering? He could have, he could have snapped at him. But that's not God. God. God is so patient. He is so kind. He patiently calls back Cain, giving him yet again another chance. Repent, Cain. Turn and be saved. Uh, and this is how God treats all humanity. To every human he made, he shows this same love. He shows them how to be saved. For Cain, it was to correct his priorities. And for humans now, it is to turn to Jesus as Lord. God intervenes in history before it's too late, before our sin separates us from God and we have no way of getting back. But the other thing here to notice about God is the way that he warns about sin uh, gently, but, but firmly warns about sin and, and the road of heading down sin and the consequences there. Uh, and it's very instructive as Cain struggles with sin because it's the same for every human. God says sin is crouching at the door. Crouching at the door, he warns Cain. Sin is lurking. Sin wants to pounce. Sin wants to destroy you. But you must not let it, God says. And so God's coaching him uh, to do the right thing. Repent, turn. You can beat this Cain. He's coaching him. And so we, we all hear God's voice, don't we, in these same moments when we're tempted, when we face sin and temptation, God is ever coaching us, even now with his spirit. We mustn't let uh, anger become rage and, and lash out. We, we need to hear God in those moments uh, and not let sin get the better of us. Uh, we, we, we mustn't uh, you know, say the thing, uh, whatever is tearing down or criticizing someone for our own pleasure. We need to hold our tongue. Don't let sin get the better of us. In that moment, hear God's voice to Cain, don't let it get the better of you. You know, we mustn't give in to lust when we, we could uh, easily let our minds slip into sin or our bodies. Don't give in. Don't go down that road. God says uh, in verse 7 instead, you must rule over it. It's a profound thing to say, you must rule over it. Um, because with the Spirit's ha- power helping us, we can rule over sin um, see, Cain, this is the thing about sin. Cain didn't have to kill his brother. In, in the moment in that story, it's like, don't do it, Cain. You know, like you're reading, like, don't do it. Because uh, he didn't have to do it, and yet he did. And, and this is the way the Bible presents sin for us uh, as followers of Jesus. We can say no. We have the power to say no. And while we will always, sin, there will always be sin in our lives, this side of the new creation. We're never going to get rid of it all. And yet in any moment, in any sin, we have the power to say no to that sin with the Spirit's help. Because sin is not to, to rule us. It's not to reign in our mortal bodies anymore. It's Jesus that is to rule us, not sin. Jesus is to be our Lord. And so it's profound when God says, don't let it rule you. Get the better of it. Well, let's go on with our story. Does Cain listen? Does Cain listen? Well, like chapter 3, uh, sin, it happens so quickly. Do you remember how it was described in chapter 3? Kind of like sin comes and it pounces and it's over. Uh, it's very much how it happens in verse 8. It says, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, 
Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And so there it is. Cain murders Abel, the first death. Death is because of sin, isn't it? And now a line has been crossed for Cain. And, and what has happened here in this moment? Cain, Cain has made a decision. Cain has chosen, hasn't he? He's chosen uh, disobedience, not, uh, not to do what God has said. And it's cost his brother his life. It's, uh, there's a few descriptions there. We see that it was premeditated. Um, he, he kind of drew his brother out. It was deceptive. You know, he said, I'll come to the field with me. It was a betrayal of trust. It was violent. Really, the worst of the human heart here comes pouring out. He, he applied his mind to it. You know, like he, it was premeditated. Kind of the ingenuity of the human mind is put towards exploiting fellow humanity for personal gain. Uh, and in this case, it was kind of like a, you know, a catharsis to a jealous rage. There was Cain. He was burning up, and so he lashes out so he can kind of feel better. It, it's gonna get, he thinks it'll get rid of his problem. Cain was angry with God. He was jealous of his brother, uh, but Cain, of course, can't strike God, and so he strikes his brother. He kills his brother. And this is kind of the way. When, when people don't fear God, uh, when they don't respect God, as with Cain, it's their neighbor that gets hurt. Uh, the nearest thing is always the thing that gets hurt. The nearest thing is always our neighbor, our brother or our sister. They always must bear the brunt of our sin. And so this is an unthinkable, tragic turn of events. So soon out of the Eden paradise. We were, we were just in Eden moments ago, and then here we are with murder. It's just, your head is kind of spinning. It leaves you a little bit numb, and you ask how and why. Well, God's punishment, God's punishment for Cain, it's the same as uh, for Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, their, their relationship with uh, each other and with creation will now be a bit more broken, a bit more damaged and torn, uh, and that's because their relationship with God has now been a bit more broken. Cain first said no to God, and so then all the other things flow on. And so Cain's punishment is that he'll be banished. Verse 12 says, you'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And the lesson is clear. Our sin separates us from God. Think of when Adam and Eve, they were in the garden at peace with God, and then they sinned, and so they had to go out of the garden. And now Cain again sins, and he has to go even further. He's, he's banished further away. Our sin separates us from God. Well, what is the chapter telling us about humanity? I mean, where does uh, something like uh, murder or crime, where does it come from? Uh, this has always been an interesting question for people. We're always interested in crime, crime fiction, and so on, its origins. Uh, for example, Iceland. Uh, so Iceland's interesting, right? Iceland has one of the lowest crime rates in the world, almost no crime there. Um, and yet they're one of the most prolific readers of crime fiction and writers. They love writing crime fiction. Even their prime minister has written a crime fiction novel. Uh, and uh, the country, because there's no crime, they only have one coroner, but the, the coroner says he's always fielding questions from crime fiction writers about, you know, how does this work or how does that work, to the point where the coroner has started running like night classes for all the crime writers about how forensics work. <laughs> And I find their fascination with crime really interesting, um, given their stated understanding of where crime comes from. So they're a really uh, socially progressive 
country, very progressive policy, and in keeping with the modern understanding about you know, things like sociology, um, they believe that uh, crime doesn't come from the individual, but it's a social problem. The, why are people doing wrong things? It's society is, is leading them that way. They're not really responsible. Um, and so let me quote their prime minister. She says, uh, we really think of crime as a societal issue, not the issue of each individual. Just think about that. I'll read it again. We really think of crime as a societal issue, not the issue of each individual. So this is a different understanding to what we're reading in our passage. She's, she's presenting really just the modern understanding of the problem. But Christians, we've got to realize that uh, the Bible's explanation of where things like uh, wrongdoing and crime and, and, and sin come from, it's very different to that of our Worlds, um, you know. Of course, of course, society plays a part, uh, but ultimately, factors like wealth and race and gender they don't fundamentally cause murder. Rather, it's the individual's heart. The individual chooses to act. Sin from the heart is the issue. Nobody can get to the final judgment and blame their race or the suburb they were born in or whatever. These are very complex issues. I'm just kind of skimming over the top. But the point I'm trying to make is each person will be called to give an answer for their actions. We can't blame other people, uh, you know, or God. You know, think of Adam and Eve in the garden. There they were. They blamed it on society, their surroundings. They, you know, they said, oh, it's the garden you put me in. Oh, it's that snake. Or Adam, it's that woman you gave me. <laughs> you know, uh, they're saying, God, you can't expect me to do better when I'm surrounded by all of this. But it's a bit of a lie, and uh, it's one that our society seems to believe. Uh, however, ultimately, God, as the final judge, tells us that there'll be no excuses on the final day. We each give in to sin, uh, and it's terrible. It's, it's as terrible as his first murder. It's shocking. And so turn to God now. Accept his forgiveness. Ask for his forgiveness because you can't be forgiven by God unless you ask for his forgiveness. You need to say, Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me. That's what we did in our confession to begin the service. And God is there. God is there making a way as he did with Cain. He's opened the way to forgiveness in Christ. And so turn and be saved. Turn and be saved. Repent from your sin. Do what Cain didn't do. And that is go to God, say sorry, live a life of obedience. Ask for his help to resist sin when it comes knocking. Well, uh, let's wrap up that section there. And we're going to move on now very quickly and do the last part of our passage. Um, Much faster. You'll see it on the outline. There's a couple of points. And really what we get now is the two family lines, two genealogies. We get Cain's genealogy, and then we get uh, Abel and Seth's genealogy. And we see that there's two uh, two genealogies, and the, the key difference is that one walks with God and the other rejects God. Cain's line rejects God, while Abel's line walks with God. So let's see that very briefly. Uh, Cain and the line of killers, I've called it. Cain and the line of killers. Because the question uh, for God's created humanity now is, was Cain a one-off? Was his error... Uh, Was it just a one-off, or is it going to be the way forward from now on? And the passage answers by giving us Cain's genealogy from verse 17. Uh, You know, Cain bears Enoch, who bears Irad, who bears uh, Mahujiel, uh, Methushiel, and then Lamech. 
And we get an interesting thing happening again where their professions are listed in verses 17 to 22. Uh, we hear that they're city builders, players of the lair, flute uh, and tool makers. We didn't have a flute today, did we? We had a violinist today with Alison. Um, and I should just say something about this. So much has been said about uh, these professions listed, and some people get really carried away in both directions. So some people say, well, if Cain's family is making tools and cities, then cities must be bad, and you know, they'll point to Tower of Babel in a little bit and see people are, people, cities and cultures are bad, um, which if you just had this passage, I can see how you might think that, but certainly the Bible as a whole uh, it's nothing like that. You know, Jesus was a carpenter, to point out the obvious. Um, and the new creation is pictured as a city. Um, and so it's not that uh, cities and tools and culture and industry are bad. But then some people go completely the other way and they say, oh, no, this is what we're seeing here is they're building their way back into a new Eden. They're redeeming the creation through this, the, the making of the tools, the, the gardening. They're meant to bring good to the world and recreate the new paradise, which, again, it's not saying anything like that either. People get very carried away. Uh, And ultimately, uh, you know, the flood is going to come and wipe away all their work in in the next chapter, chapter 7. And ultimately, we're told that at the end of uh, this world, God is going to burn it up uh, and he'll make a new creation. And so all of our work, all of our making, it won't last into the new creation in any way. What really matters is where do we stand before God? That's, that's what our passage has been about, and that's, that's what matters. And, and it's actually, if you're someone that loves making things, this is really good news, uh, because it means we can just enjoy as a good gift making things, building things, culture. We can enjoy it as a good gift. We don't have to think about trying to redeem the world. It's like, oh, what if I build it wrong? Is that going to break? No, it's not. It's, that's not what's happening when you build something. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. That's a little aside if you're interested in those questions. Returning to Cain's genealogy, uh, it goes through very quickly. Uh, The only details that are given is when it pauses on one guy, Lamech. Uh, And Lamech is a bit of a character study in verse 19. And uh, Lamech, he was very naughty. He took two wives for himself, uh, which is is actually a real breaking down of the order God had. And in verse 23, he he brags about murdering a young man. He reveals his uh, brutality and violence. So verse 23 says, uh, it's a song that he sings, uh, bragging. He says, for I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And so it's not very subtle. The message is Cain's people, like Cain, are murderers. Uh, and that's exemplified in Lamech. But is that right? Is, is Genesis saying that humanity are now all murderers? Uh, surely that's a little, a little bleak. Well, I was uh, pondering this question, uh, and, I, and I came across this uh, thing midweek, and it's so bizarre, I'm uh, excited to share it with you, even though it's a little bit disturbing. I read about a, a parody joke website called Rent a Hitman. Rent a Hitman. And it's, uh, it was set up by Bob, Bob Inns in 2005, and it offers the services of a hitman, like an assassin, to, to take out someone for you. Uh, and it, it's a joke website. That it's got uh, customer testimonials. So Phil Florida says, they were able to resolve a five-year dispute in a matter of days. Uh, and they even have discount packages, group discount packages and seniors discount. Uh, And it's quite obviously a joke, right? Um, 
But what is not a joke is that uh, people kept sending in genuine requests to the website. And so Bob started passing them on to the police. And there's a whole string of convictions that have come from it. You can't make this up, right? So for example, Wendy went last year, there was a headline. uh, This was it. Ex-wife faces prison after seeking assassin on joke hitman for hire website. And she's, uh, yeah, she's convicted. Uh, there's this strange lady, this whole thing about uh, sin's deception. Like, how could you fall for this and think that this website could possibly be the answer to your problems? Um, and you see it in the judge. The judge in sentencing Wendy uh, said, I'll quote, uh, Nobody looking at it could have believed the website was real, but you did. And this didn't just pop up on your Facebook feed. You went looking for it. And so, as I say, there's been this endless stream of people uh, trying to recruit hitmen from the website. It's estimated that 150 lives have been saved by the police intervening. Um, people, kept, people started asking if they could be a hitman, and so he added a careers tab to his website. But you can't make this up, can you? And then, sure enough, in April this year, Josiah Garcia was charged by the FBI after wanting to become a hitman. For, he was an ex-soldier, and he thought he would move into a new line of work. It's just so bizarre. So uh, the question is, are humanity killers? And uh, I mean, that the website's obviously a little extreme. Uh, and yet murder and death really are certainly death. It's, it's a part of life now, isn't it? Um, and most of us will never follow through with something so extreme. And yet the anger in our hearts, it does reveal that we are really not so different. Well, it's all a bit depressing. But there is another family line to end on very briefly. Another family line. It shows another way of life. Uh, and that's in chapter 5. So finally, Seth and the line of salvation. You see, Eve, Eve has another child and she says she, she rejoices. She says this child is to replace the one that, Abel, uh, that Cain killed. And so you can see there, it's kind of as a replacement to Abel we get Seth. And Seth in verse 25, and then verse 26, we hear these crucial words. At that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. And so this line, this line will be different because they call on God's name. They walk with God. This genealogy of people then is given in chapter 5. And each, each person through the genealogy is named. We're told their lifespan and then that they died. And so one after another, you know, uh, they lived and then they died. They lived and they died. They lived and they died. But then there's a very noticeable break from this dying when you get to Enoch. So Enoch, twice we're told that he walked with God. Uh, and then verse 24 says, Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. Hmm. And so God appears to have taken up Enoch uh, when he'd finished his life, uh, you know, taken up into heaven. It's like he didn't die. Uh, God broke the cycle of death. Uh, and uh, in a chapter full of death and murder, this is surely a, a reminder that there is another way uh, when you walk with God. People who walk with God are not defined by murder and death, but by life with God. The genealogy uh, of Seth ends with Noah and his sons. We get that at the end of chapter 5. And we know that from Noah we get uh, Jesus. And so the genealogy of Seth ends with a clear view of humanity. Uh, There are those who resist sin, who walk with God. God is with them, uh, working through them, ultimately promising to save through their line in Jesus. 
but then there is another. Then there is another line, Cain's line, uh, from where we had Lamech, um, and they are that's the line of death of sin. They face judgment and death. Cain's line ultimately ends in uh, chapter seven next week at the flood, where where they will be uh, judged. Ultimately, the the the, the murderers will be. Uh, judge for their crimes in the flood. That, that is why God sends the flood. It's, it's terrible. And so we see that uh, salvation comes from walking with God through the line of Seth by Jesus, who did offer the perfect sacrifice, who was able to say no to sin uh, and, and save, save the world. And so for us, of course, walk with God. Be in the line of Seth. Walk with God and be saved. Why not pray to close? Heavenly Father, may we not give in to sin, hurting those around us and being banished from you. But Father, by your Spirit's power, help us to walk with you, calling on your name, that we may be saved and have life. In Jesus, our Saviour's name we pray. Amen.